Monday, Monday. How are you doing this Monday? Are you in good form? Welcome to the Richie Allen Radio Show with myself, the BBG, live from BBG Towers here in Salford. If you believe that, I'll tell you another. I've got at least one very interesting guest for you today. You can reach me during the programme through the website, as you know by now. It is richieallen.co.uk, where it says comment live at the top of the website. Let's do it. You're listening to the saviour of the independent media. It's your Richie Allen. It's the Richie Allen Show, broadcasting live on richieallen.co.uk and multiple platforms around the world. And now, here's your host, Richie Allen. Now, you might be aware of this, but then again, you may not be aware of it. Disney, the global corporation Disney, last month agreed with its unions a deal that will require all of its unionized employees working at Disney World in Florida to be vaccinated, fully vaccinated, against COVID by the end of October. And one man in particular is not happy about that. He's been a cast member for Disney for 16 years and has launched a campaign to get the company to change its mind. It has gone viral. His name is Nick Caterano. Nick will join me a little bit later on this hour, in about a half an hour, in fact. And I'm pretty sure I'll have a second hour guest as well, although there may have been a mix-up. We'll we'll see. It is live radio. We'll see. It is your Richie Allen Show. I've already said you are welcome to it. Thanks, as always, for finding the time to join me. And you've joined me. I see you there. Well, I don't really. I feel you. You feel me? I feel you, is right. Lovely weekend. Mine was lovely and pleasant and relaxing. I was with you yesterday, of course, on Sunday Morning Melodies, which was good fun. Now, enough of the messing. Now, healthy children aged 12 to 15 should be, should be offered one dose of a COVID jab, according today to the United Kingdom's Chief Medical Officers. Oh yes. It's you between the eyes. Well, that's the surprise you see. Surprise, surprise, surprise. Well, you could have knocked me down with a feather. Obviously, they were going to say that. Despite the Joint Committee on Vaccination and Immunisation saying there's no benefit to children, more harm than good, possibly more harm than any good, despite people like Sunetra Gupta, the epidemiologist from Oxford University, saying that it's absolutely unpalatable to be jabbing healthy children, the four chief medical officers of the United Kingdom have come together and said, well, we should do it. They said it would help reduce the disruption to the children's education. That's what they said. Would you like to hear England's Chief Medical Officer, Chris Whitty? Here he is shortly after 4pm this afternoon. In, and when we did this, uh, we had some extremely powerful evidence, both numerically, but also from our colleagues working particularly in areas of deprivation around the country, uh, and also general practitioner colleagues, 
uh, and also colleagues from mental health, and they all made the same point, which is the disruption in education that has happened over the last uh, period since March uh, 2020 has been extraordinarily difficult for children and had a big impact on health, mental health and long-term public health. Yes, it certainly did. But the problem you see, Chris Whitty, the problem is, you see, all of those problems were, were, well, inflicted by you and the other half of the Chuckle Brothers, Patrick Valance, and that straw-haired goon, Boris Johnson. All the evidence told you that children were completely, completely, well, pretty much completely, safe from COVID. All your evidence told you that children didn't transmit it either. Therefore, there was no need whatsoever to close down schools and inflict all of that misery on children. You did that. You and your colleagues. Never forget it. What else did he say? And this is most apparent in areas of deprivation. They were very clear on that. Yes, yes. It had a terrible effect on children's well-being, being out of school. And we noticed this in the more poorer areas, the, the poorer parts of the UK. We have to you know, we have to think about the deprived children here. So the question for the CMOs on the educational side, uh, accepting that advice, which completely concords with all the data that we have, was will vaccination uh, reduce the disruption and therefore reduce these very significant uh, negative impacts? And our assessment is the answer to that is yes. It will reduce uh, educational disruption. We do not think that this is a panacea. This is not a silver bullet. It's not a single thing that on its own will do so. Mm, yeah. Right, yeah, so uh, it'll reduce disruption to education. But again, this has to be repeated time and again. You disrupted the children's education unnecessarily. There was no need to close schools down. You had the evidence to say kids were extremely unlikely to even become mildly ill with whatever COVID-19 is. And you knew that children were not passing it on to their grannies. You knew this. We know now that you knew this. But you lied anyway. Fear-mongering. Baxters, you and your pal Valance, and others as well, of course, Jonathan Van Tam and June Rain at the MHRA. There's no need for any of this. There's certainly no need for any jabbing of the kiddies. So, but we think it is, a, it is an important and potentially useful additional tool to help ha reduce the public health impacts that come through educational disruption. So that's been, that has been really critical in our decision making. And this is uh, true whether we're talking about individuals, physical health, individuals' mental health, or the long-term effects that a disrupted education can have on people's life chances. So that's very much where a lot of our discussion lay. And we did think that on balance it was likely to improve things. And we looked at the negative sides, and there are some uh, issues around operational issues, say particularly around vaccination. But our view was the benefits that this is likely to lead to in terms of reducing uh, impacts on education outweighed those negative areas. Yes. He didn't dare, Witty. Make any, make any claim that jabbing the kiddies would benefit wider society. Because, again, the Joint Committee on Vaccination and Immunisation were clear that it wouldn't benefit anybody else. Vaxing yourself should be for vaxing yourself. It doesn't impact on the health of other people. Well, it might do, negatively, ironically. But it doesn't do them any good. That's been blown out of the water as well in recent months. Well, we knew it anyway. 
So that was Chris Whitty there then. We are recommending the kids get jabbed and we're doing it for their own good and nobody else's because it'll help prevent further disruption of their education. And he went on to say, I won't bring you the audio, that this would be offered to children, that there would be no attempt, there should be no attempt to coerce children into taking it. Now, I didn't hear it because I was rushing to get on air with this programme, but I'm hoping that somebody in the assembled press corps, I doubt it, but I'm hoping that somebody asked him, what about when there is a difference of opinion between the child and the parent? When the parent says no, but the child for some reason says yes, what will happen then? You will be aware that the health secretary, Sajid Javid, has said on several occasions that if the child is deemed to be competent, the child's wishes will overrule those of his or her parents. But I'll be keeping an eye now on the wires as I'm speaking with you, just in case anybody did pose that question to Witty or one of his colleagues, the Scottish, the Northern Irish and the Welsh chief medical officers were present as well today. How interesting. Again, we, we, we saw this coming, didn't we? We saw it coming. It only directly benefits the kiddies, they said. We're doing it for the kiddies. Now, on this story, also on this story, related to this story, head teachers have been threatened with legal action over the jabs. Did you hear, by the way, Chris Whitty said that the only negative to jabbing the kids, he said, was an operational one. Namely, well, we've got to obviously logistically do this. That was the only negative. No mention of myocarditis, of course, which has is, which is reared its ugly head, not just in America, but in Europe as well. Rare, they say, rare and fair enough, but it is a risk for children. COVID isn't a risk for children. Myocarditis is a deadly risk for children. Yes, anyway, his only problem was the logistical one. How do we do this? Well, they'll be announcing this, I suppose, in the next day or two. But some head teachers are receiving letters from pressure groups threatening those head teachers that if their schools take part in COVID jab rollouts, um, they'll be sued, basically. And Jeff Barton is a general secretary of the Association of School and College Leaders. He's told the BBC that this is extremely unhelpful. And we would ask those involved in this type of correspondence to stop attempting to exert pressure on schools and colleges. I would say more power to the pressure groups who are writing to schools to threaten head teachers. Not to threaten them, they shouldn't use the term threaten, but to advise them that there may be legal ramifications for them if they go along with this government plan to jab healthy 12 to 15-year-old children. It's exactly 10 and a half minutes. It's 11 minutes past the hour already. Now, on the vaccine passports, if you've been following things in the last couple of days, you would have heard, again, the Health Secretary, Sajid Javid, say on the Mar show yesterday that the government has abandoned its plans, for now, to roll out a vaccine passport scheme. You might remember it had been said, it had been promised, by this government, it had stated policy that from the end of this month, from the end of September, two weeks from now, it had planned to make vaccine passports a condition of entry into UK nightclubs and other venues. Venues that, indoor venues that hold a lot of people. But they've said they've dropped those plans for now. 
The barrister Francis Hoare, though, doesn't trust the government. Here he is speaking with... uh, Well, actually, before we hear from Francis Hoare, let's hear from Boris Johnson on this. Here he is, the UK Prime Minister, speaking earlier today. We've got to do everything that's uh, right to protect the the country, but... The way things are going at the moment, we're very confident in the steps that uh, that we've taken. I'll be sending out a lot more uh, tomorrow. I'll be giving you a, a full update on on the plans for the uh, for the autumn and the winter. And what we want to do is avoid uh, vaccine passports if we possibly can. And that's what we're, uh, we're that's the course we're on. But I think you've got to be prudent and you've got to to keep things in reserve uh, in case things change. Obviously, that's right. Mm, that was John's. That was Johnson. Now, on uh, the, the, the seeming change or the, the apparent change of heart by the government on the vaccine passports, here's the barrister Francis Hoare speaking with Julia Hartley Brewer on Talk Radio. I don't trust anything the government says, but what I would say is that all um, a, a, a retreats from the what what seemed to be the government programme are to be welcomed and must be built upon. And the only reason the government was able to, well, the government did retreat from its plan to introduce vaccine passports was because they realised that this would not push, they would not be able to push this through without significant public opposition. So I think what that does show is that coordinated public opposition and people making known that they are not going to accept this does work. And, and and what's important, I think, about this is, of course, it may be the case that the government was just testing this idea and in, in order partly to persuade people to take the vaccination and partly just to see whether or not it would fly. But even if that's the case, and even if this wasn't always a plan to introduce it, but just, uh, just for smoke and mirrors, which is quite possible, even if that's the case, this does show that that opposition can work. So mm. He's suggesting there that maybe vaccine passports were threatened not because the government intended to introduce them but they were used as a means of expediting the take-up of the jabs. He might very well believe that. I don't believe it. My, my, my opinion, it's just my opinion, is that they fully intend to make vaccine passports uh, health passports because they will move on from vaccine passports to make health passports a real thing and a permanent thing in society. He says, well, maybe they just wanted to hold it over the kids like the Sword of Damocles, maybe make the kids believe it was real so that they'd rush and take up the jab, I'm not sure. Work. So so, so that is at least something to be happy pleased Yeah, Yeah, there are lots of people who are saying, oh, it was always just a threat. It was just a way of making sure that the over-18s uh, got their jabs. And we know that that, that group of people, uh, we're looking at 61% take-up of jabs. Again, up higher than in many countries overall from their age, from, uh, and given that age group is at such incredibly low risk of hospitalisation, severe disease or death. That's a very high take-up. But even if that were the original aim, it's still, I mean, utterly immoral and unethical and illiberal for them to have done that. What do you make also of the Coronavirus Act powers? Um, the government has said they want to extend the, their emergency powers for another six months. I mean, I, I was I was worried when they were extended the first time, let alone, the, I mean, what's this, the third time they're t- attempting to do that? Um, they, though, say they want to repeal key schedules. I think schedules are 21 and 22. And those are particular powers uh, to force people in their homes, to close businesses, close schools and the like. But a lot of people saying, "Oh, this is encouraging that they they they're trying to they're trying to sort of repeal some of those powers," but 
But the actual lockdown rules that were used to lock us in our homes, to close schools and all of that, they, they were using the Public Health Act 1984, which remains on the statute book. So they're not actually giving up any powers at all to control our lives. No, they're not. Of course, that was never the, the plan, was never to return any of these emergency powers. They were, and, and, and some, including Lord Sumption and those of us who were um, putting forward the legal case last year would say that really they didn't have those powers and those powers were given an extraordinary definition, I think, by the Court of Appeal. But the Court of Appeal disagrees, Lord Sumption disagrees yeah. with them, so I'm happy to be on his side. Uh, but whether or not that's the case, if that is the case, uh, Steve Baker, incidentally, has put forward some plans to reform the Public Health Act to remove the power of the government to introduce by secondary legislation the most extraordinarily wide-ranging powers, uh, which, which don't even need a vote in Parliament in advance. The government already has and has already ha always had powers under the Civil Contingencies Act to introduce extraordinary measures in times of extraordinary public crisis, but that requires a vote in Parliament over after every um, every change in the law yeah. within seven days, and Parliament can amend it. Mm. Parliament has just gone along with the government, hasn't it? It's been given a blank cheque by the Labour Party and the Liberal Democrats, of course, but we understand why. David sends, uh, through the website, David says the UK will be getting the vaccine passport this winter, take it to the bank. They just want to make it look like they don't want to do it, but they do. And we all know it says, David, thanks for your comment, David. Thank you very much. Alan says, in my opinion, no jab, no job will be coming in 2022. Quarantine work camps, same year, maybe 2023, says Alan. Maybe. Patrick says, look to Australia and New Zealand, their beta test sites uh, for full-blown totalitarian fascism. It's a question of whether the woo gets to them first through sufficient pushback, including the normies, says Patrick. Faisal said, brother had his vaccine passport ready for a trip to Ireland, was never checked at the airports and anywhere except one restaurant in there, despite what the MSN has said. That's interesting. Faisal's brother had the vaccine passport ready on his way to Ireland. They didn't check it at the airports and uh, the only place it was checked was one restaurant, despite what being said in the media. William says, from non-existent to extremely rare to very rare to rare to COVID symptoms. Thank you. Rose says, Evening Richie, I'm listening regarding when the parent says no jab, but the child says yes. I've not heard anyone bring forth. What if the child says no jab, but the parent says yes? My 11-year-old granddaughter says no, but I've got a feeling her mum will say yes, says Rose. Keep us informed, Rose, on that one. Paul says, Richie, did you see that your sometime guest? Uh, no, I didn't, but I'll have a look at that, Paul. Thank you. I to Gaz Bob, who says the scamdemic and all of that shite that comes with it is only possible because of the demonic legal system. Fines are all unlawful and unenforceable. We have to know that or this will never end, says Bob. Good evening, Martin. Good evening to Kieran, who says, Remember in March last year, the UK government confirmed that COVID-19 is not considered a high-consequence infectious disease. That is right, Kieran. Never forget that. And he sends the link there in case anyone uh, is wondering about it. Indeed. Hi, Colin. Lovely. I'm going to, uh, it's, what is it, 20 past uh, five? It is 20 past five. I better get my skates on. Lots more to talk about before my first guest joins me. 
Yeah, let's move on down there then. So Chand Nagpal is the chairman of the British Medical Association. Let's hear a little bit from him. Now, he gave a speech to his union today and he talked about how the NHS has effectively been destroyed over the years through underfunding. And this is kind of strange because he's right to talk about that and to discuss why the NHS is seemingly unable to cope with a, a heavier flu season or a respiratory illness like COVID. He's right to talk about that. But at the same time, he went on Sky News and declared that he is unhappy that Boris Johnson has indicated that the government would not be keeping mask wearing and social distancing this winter. Now, I don't believe Chand Nagpal is right. I believe that once we get into the winter, all of these things will return. But at the moment, Boris Johnson is saying, and he is expected to say tomorrow, that we should be living with the Rona and not keeping all of these all of these restrictions and measures. But Chand Nagpal believes we should be keeping all of these measures. Here he is on Sky this afternoon. The government should be thinking of other measures. It's not we're not talking about, about a lockdown, but in fact, why it doesn't make any sense to allow people to be on a packed train, so you know, sort of inches away from each other, and allow the the virus just to spread so, spread exponentially. It doesn't make sense to allow, for example, a hairdresser uh, who may have the infection, you know, um, uh, 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 treat the hair of you know several people when these measures are so simple. They don't prevent the economy opening. They don't prevent um, shops opening. They don't prevent you know trains running or people boarding trains. But they're simple measures that many other nations have kept in order to keep the infection rates down. Mm. He thinks it's just absolutely unpalatable, it's untenable to allow hairdressers to treat the hair (laughs) of several people and the infection might run riot when you're treating the hair. Are they going to uh, hairdressers with nits, are they, these days? Or cooties, is that what they call them in the US? Cooties, nits, lice, are they? Madman, this uh, nag, Paul. Uh, here's more of him. Well, Doctor, I, I don't know if you've been on public transport recently. People are not wearing masks and they are on top of each other. Yeah. So what They're not wearing masks and they're on top of each other. What do you think is going to happen in the in next two weeks, should we say? Yeah. So if the government is to implement a strategy that makes sense, that will reduce infection, reduce people becoming ill, it should have an, a policy that people who are on public transport should wear masks. Now, that is a policy in other parts of the UK, in other nations, and it's a policy that's standard in other international countries. They have signs up. They have signs up. It is their policy. They ask people to wear the masks and they're just not wearing them. Because it's not a requirement. If if, if everyone did uh, uh, things just based upon being asked to do, we wouldn't need any rules. Uh, We wouldn't need to have rules around wearing seatbelts. Yeah. There you go. So, you know, um, it isn't, as you've just rightly said, being done. And it's not even a requirement on um, uh, London Transport has it as a requirement, but it's not a uh, requirement in shops. It's not a requirement when you're served uh, by, by, by um, uh, you're served in a shop by, by staff. It's not a requirement on overground trains. And, and because it's not a requirement, lower numbers of people are now wearing masks. And it's really unfair, actually, to those who are clinically vulnerable. It's unfair to those who are clinically vulnerable now. You should be wearing a mask, just in case somebody who's clinically vulnerable is out and about in society, because you just don't know. To be in that position where they may need to go to work, but they have no choice but to be surrounded by people 
one of whom may be infected. And as Surrounded a, by biological weapons like you. As a result, their own health is at stake. That just doesn't seem to be fair. And I think, you know, that's a simple measure that would make a difference. Yeah. Just another madman. Chand Nagpal, the chair of the British Medical Association. You know, he went to his union today and gave a keynote address. And he basically said that, he, in so many words, he said that the NHS has been ruined. And hence, it can't cope with a busier winter than normal. At the same time, then, he's telling people they should be wearing masks and distancing. He's a bit of a madman. Carl Hennigan is a GP. He's also an epidemiologist. No, he isn't. He's a professor of evidentiary-based medicine. That's the one. Get it right, Baldy. And uh, like I said, he's a GP. He was on with Julia Hartley-Brewer this morning. We're giving an airing to Julia Hartley-Brewer. And he laid it out, plain and simple, what has happened to the NHS, why it fails and why it doesn't have enough beds. Here's Carl Hennigan. Yeah, so the big problem we face as we go into the winter is we've got one of the lowest bed capacities in Europe. Uh, really quite low down, somewhere like Germany is three times as many beds as us. So if you think we've only got just over 100,000 adult beds, we've got no flexible capacity as we go into winter. It's a bit like a Christmas store saying we can't get any jobs at Christmas and we can't expand the number of checkouts. We have a significant structural problem in the NHS. We need about 20% extra beds. Most of them beds could be low tech, and for the vulnerable and the elderly. But if we put 20 to 25% of those people and take up 20, 25,000 beds, suddenly the NHS is overwhelmed. About 17 out of the last 20 years I've been a doctor, the NHS has been in crisis in winter. You hear that? 17 of the last 20 years he's been working. The service has been in crisis. You will probably know this. I definitely know this. I've been reading the broadsheet newspapers and the tabloids for the best part of 30 years. No, honestly, every one of them, every day for my sins. And when winter comes, there are three certainties, death, taxes and an NHS collapse. Short-staffed, not enough beds. The country grows by a city the size of Cardiff every year. And they keep taking away NHS hospital beds. You see, it's not rocket science, is it? Now, with the heightened anxiety of where we are now, it's going to be difficult for the Prime Minister and his cabinet to not press that button to go lockdown. Yeah. It's guaranteed. So there are four things guaranteed. Death taxes, a collapse in the NHS as a result of people getting a bit more ill over the winter and a lockdown is, is a racing certainty. I, I'm not trying to depress you here. Just got to prepare ourselves for it, you know. Keep those comments coming in. RichieAllen.co.uk, top of the website. Good evening to Spiro Skouras. This is interesting. This is timely because I've had an email from somebody in New York who's telling me about a protest going on there today. Just had a link sent to me by Spiro, activistpost.com. And that is that New York City today, this, this Monday today, has begun enforcing COVID-19 vaccine mandates for indoor businesses. Begins today. Remember, Bill de Blasio, the mayor of New York City, you don't get to participate in society, he said, unless you're jabbed. Thanks for that, Spiro. And somebody called herself... That's herself has been in touch with me. I'm hoping I've still got the email there. Have I? Or have I lost it 
momentarily. Ah, be jeepers, I might have lost it. I'll try and dig it out again. I had an email from somebody through the website who said that protests are taking place around New York City today. I think as a result of what Spiro just sent me. I'll give it a mention if I dig that email out. This is the Richie Allen Radio Show. It's 28 minutes past the hour. I have a very interesting guest live from Disney World joining me in a couple of minutes' time. He's spearheading a campaign to try and convince the corporation not to mandate vaccines for its staff. This is going to be very interesting indeed. In the meantime, here's Morrissey. This is We Hate It When Our Friends Become Successful. You got that right. Morrissey, we hate it when our friends become successful. It's half past five at the Richie Allen Show Monday's programme. It is the uh, 13th of September 2021. Welcome to the show. Hundreds of uh, comments coming through the website. It's richieallen.co.uk. Send your comments through the website where it says comment live at the top of the page. Just before we say hello to Nick, and I can't wait to meet Nick, and I, I know you can't wait to meet him either. I found the message from herself in New York City. Let me read it very quickly. Richie, New York City is standing up today, Monday, September 13th at Foley Square. There's a huge rally to support the teachers and other union members who are walking off their jobs today in protest of King de Blasio's decree for a vaccine passport. Come on, come all, if you are within a few hours of Manhattan, come on down. You will be surrounded by like-minded folks and we will send a message to de Blasio today. We gather at four o'clock New York City time, two blocks north of City Hall. There will be time for your New York listeners, Richie, to hear this and jump on a train. That's from herself. Let's welcome Nick to the programme. This is um, this is huge. It's gone viral, to use that cliche. I told you earlier, Disney reached a deal with its unions last month to require unionised employees working at Walt Disney World in Florida to be fully jabbed against COVID-19 by October 22nd. A lot of people are unhappy about that, including my first guest today. He has been a Disney cast member for 16 years and he has launched a campaign to get Disney to change its mind. It has gone viral. Go to the website www.goofyvaccine.com. That's goofyvaccine.com. Let's welcome, a huge welcome to uh, Nick Caterano. Nick, you're very welcome to the programme, sir. How are you? Excellent, Richie. Thank you so much for having me here. Uh, I'm really excited to talk to our friends over in, in London and England and, and all over the, over on that part of the world. Um, it, it's kind of exciting. I'm feeling really good. I think you, you covered something from the other letter where it said like-minded people. And so many people have felt isolated and scared. And now as we all begin to stand up, we're excited to see so many like-minded people that feel the same way. And it's encouraging. Thanks, Nick. Thanks for saying that. 16 years a cast member with the company. When the announcement was made in August that they'd reached the deal with the union, tell us, um, did that come as a surprise to you at the time, Nick, or was it something you were expecting? Richie, honestly, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a shop steward and I am in the union and I'm, I'm kind of on the inside. So I, I, I get word a lot sooner than most people. Uh, a, pr- a few weeks prior, uh, I heard it was coming and the negotiations were starting. I, I kind of was the lone voice uh, dissenting against the mandates, um, but I didn't think there was anything I could do about it. It was too big of a train to stop. 
Uh, a day later, my wife tested positive for COVID. A few days later, I did. And through that process of, of re-looking at all the data, uh, getting early treatment as, as ivermectin, and we both got better so quickly. And I started really looking at the, the narrative that's being given to us and the actual data and the fact that we got so much better with ivermectin and then all the stories out there, I realized something was really wrong. And so many people started reaching out to me, cast members that were, were scared as well, feeling isolated, feeling alone. I, was, I started getting a lot of personal calls and I realized being a Christian myself, um, I felt a sense of responsibility to stand up for those who didn't have any voice and hopefully encourage them to stand up for themselves. And, and here we are. It's uh, it's really taken off and the support has been amazing. And you went, uh, you, you put the website together, which is which is excellent. It's really easy to use and navigate. GoofyVaccine.com is the website. Check it out, folks. We've got Nick Carterano on the line. He's spearheading this campaign to get Disney to change its mind and not to insist that its employees, its cast members, have uh, become fully jabbed um, by, uh, by, by the end of October. And you're saying, Nick, that you heard from a, from, from a lot of people um, look, I don't know if you'll be able to give me percentages, but give us some sort of ballpark number, you know, in terms of those that are really opposed to this compared to those who, you know, have shrugged their shoulders and said, ah, well, you know, if they want us to take the jab, I'll just have the jab. Give us an idea. Here, here's the tricky part in all this, Richie. As I began to uh, put my my fight together and I had a team of support that's been amazing, uh, there's a group called CCDF, and they they came behind me with a lot of support. And as we began to get the message out, Facebook, uh, all my messages get deleted. All the cast member groups that are in the thousands, if I post something, it gets taken down right away. And people have been taking screenshots and and reaching out to me. Um, there's a Haitian community uh, that does does a lot of stewarding and kitchen work, um, quietly whispering to me in, in a storeroom. And from that opened up a whole community of people that said they feel betrayed by the union, by by Disney, by even their churches, um, and, and they have no way to communicate. And it, it's really hard to determine the numbers, but they're coming in from the hundreds uh, daily right now. Viral. Uh, and now, now it's becoming a grassroots effort. And 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 prior, Disney, Disney had offered money for people to speak up or, or to show that they were vaccinated. And I heard that was somewhere in the maybe 60%, so it was 40% that they didn't have and weren't sure about. But you put that together with the people that have gotten vaccinated, that believe in freedom, freedom of choice, informed consent. You put that together with people who are realizing they were vaccinated, they, they believe in the vaccine, but now they're going to have to get boosters every five months, as Biden is saying. And that's a pretty significant number. And uh, there's a lot of work going on where we're about to, to, to have a press conference this week. And we're going to let all the cast members know that don't know yet that we're fighting. And I think that's going to get a lot of people to stand up and, and, and get involved. Great, Nick. We'll come back to Biden and some of the things he's said in a moment. Before that, though, I'm, I'm a trade unionist myself. I, I, well, I, not recently. I work for myself now. But when I was employed, I was always um, a paid up member of my, of my union, of my workers' union. How did your union broker this deal with Disney? Were the members balloted first? That's something that my listeners will be screaming at me to ask you. Were the members given, you know, a chance to vote on it or did the union just go ahead and do it? 
You know, unfortunately, you know, I've during this whole pandemic, I've worked a lot with the union. We've done amazing food banks and and uh, we've done amazing work. I feel a, a sense of family, but I also feel a sense of disappointment. They didn't ballot anybody. Um, they the, the word from from leadership was that Disney had a right to do what they wanted in this regard. And there was no standing in the way of this. And all they brokered was uh, medical and uh, religious exemptions. But uh, as we're hearing around the country here, I'm not sure the UK uh, there and, and, and the Biden administration just spoke up yesterday that they're going to they're going to really work to stop uh, what they called abuses of uh, the exemptions. And a lot of companies are just taking those exemptions and putting people in a corner or, or sending them home. Um, so it doesn't feel like the exemptions are really going to be much help. Uh, as far as keeping the job and keeping the roles you're in where, yeah. you know, you, your, your seniority has brought you to a pretty good living. Um, so, yeah, it, it, it's been a sad situation all around. And, and I still I, I still uh, have an olive branch reached out to my union uh, for them to get back in this fight. And uh, maybe when they realize how many numbers are out there in the press conference this week that's coming, um, they still have a chance to get on the right side of history on this. I'm, I'm hoping and I'm praying. Your campaign has really taken off and it's getting attention, not just in your own state, but, but in your country and obviously around the world. Has has any of your supervisors or I, I wouldn't dare say superiors, they're not your superiors, but have any of your bosses, have they spoken to you about it, Nick? Have they tapped you on the shoulder and said, hey, Nick, we've seen what you're doing online or has nobody said anything? How's it worked? Nobody said anything. I've reached out to my uh, my superior. Uh, I told them what I was doing. I've reached out to everybody and just kind of once I had everything in place to let them know, um, I've heard nothing. I know Disney is blocking the emails and we've had to do end arounds on that, that on the campaign on our website. If you go up how, you know, I know there's a lot of people in the UK that support Disney in many, many ways who disagree with what's going on. You yeah. can Go on our website at goofyvaccine.com and and there's an email blast where you could send your feelings on this uh, real simply set up for you. But uh, nobody said anything. I've seen a few grins. Um, I have a really good relationship with my manager staff at work. Um, I, I don't know how much they support me or not support me in this, um, but I but I have not felt personally any backlash. But I know uh, around around Disney, I'm hearing um, I just. This is one email I got this morning, Richie. If I could just read it real quick. Do, I'll of just course, kind of summarize. And the cast member says, I've been a part of the Disney family 20 years. Over the last several weeks, daily shift meetings have focused not on making magic for our guests, but have become increasingly hostile. And we've been threatened by management stating, you better get vaccinated by October 22nd, or you better be looking for another job because you won't be working here. Disney has succeeded in making those of us who have, have taken pause on participation in this America medical experiment to feel very alone, segregated, and threatened. Uh, medical tyranny should not be tolerated for anyone, not just for those who are working at Disney. I'm getting emails like this in the hundreds. Um, so a lot of people are not as fortunate as I am. Uh, I've been a strong leader, so I, I imagine that causes a little pause before they come after me. And they probably know I'm lawyered up um, and yeah. I have a strong team. Um, so and you're brilliantly they're, they're articulate. Pro- you're obviously somebody who doesn't take any crap. I mean, you're 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 mild mannered and you're articulate, but I get the sense from you that you're you're you'll be very quick to to stand up for for yourself. And traditionally, 
this is in no way loaded now. If we forget about for the moment how the managers and supervisors are becoming aggressive about, you know, get the job or get fired. Before that, what sort of a place has it been to work, Nick? Have they been good employers, Disney? Uh, you know, the corporate the, the corporate landscape has changed here in the United States and I imagine the world. Uh, there's a lot more pressure. Uh, my argument has always been when you have to blow out four times a year, blow out your, your, your numbers four times a year for every quarter, no matter how all the things that brought you success, you have to find a way to make more money for the next quarter so that you're 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 relevant. And I think that mindset, and I'm a I'm a capitalist at heart. It's been one of the greatest uh, one of the greatest economic uh, things that have brought prosperity and even charity around the world. Um, but that mentality has has been a little difficult and and it's and it's changed the mindset of the people that have moved up into leadership in disney and i think even they feel the stress of it and the pressure it's almost taken on a life of itself i love disney it's amazing to see people from all over the world and i've learned so many different languages to get some basics out there and and to make these connections even when people don't understand you is wonderful um most of us love our jobs there though it is not the same as it's been uh, I'm more fortunate in my location. I have a great management team, though nothing's perfect. Um, but it really depends at where you're at. Um, the to to succeed in Disney in, in the management, you, you really got to become a company man. And uh, it, it I've heard from management and the inside that there there's a lot of pressure on them to really bring the hammer on people and to it feels like to lead by fear rather than to lead by example, and uh, and building people up. It doesn't seem people want to take the time anymore to build people up. They want to break them down, oppress them, and push them forward. And at some point, people start to break. So, there's a lot of good there. There's a lot of things that, that, that could use a lot of improvement. Great companies used to bring staff with them rather than, as you said, you know, break them down and try to remold them into... I don't know, a company character. Let me remind our listeners, Nick Caterano is our guest. Go to www.goofyvaccine.com. Nick's a Disney cast member. He has been for 16 years. And he's launched a campaign to get Disney to change its mind and not to insist that its staff are fully jabbed by October 22nd. This is very serious. Before we do talk about Biden, and, you know, I I can't imagine what, what an American gentleman or a lady feels when they hear their president speaking the way he's been speaking, telling people, you know, get jabbed or else. Uh, It's astonishing. We'll talk about that in a moment. But you said you and your wife contracted COVID. Thankfully, you got over it. And you mentioned ivermectin. Now, I've spoken to Irish doctors, Nick, because I'm an Irishman living in the UK, but I've spoken to, to doctors in Ireland and I've spoken to doctors here who've tried to prescribe ivermectin or hydroxychloroquine because they believe in their expertise that it's a very, very good um, medicine in, in treating uh, respiratory infections or viruses. And you said that you managed to get some and it was good for you and for your wife. But I understand that your FDA over there, the regulatory body, has um, been coming down pretty hard on ivermectin and making statements that it's basically just horse medicine and it's telling people they shouldn't take it and if they do take it, it might be um, harmful for them. But you've learned different. You've learned like a lot different. You know better. 
Yeah, Richie, um, I think the whole world has become aware of Joe Rogan. He's a famous podcaster, if not the most famous podcaster we have here in the Absolutely. United States. And uh, he recently got COVID. It was amazing to see people lose their minds and wish him harm uh, as he got COVID because he had spoken up some very reasonable common sense things against the vaccine with young people and being healthy and stuff. Um, but people really lost their minds when he got better right away. And he was back in the gym in a few days. Um, and then the hit job started, the Rolling Stone. You know, who would think the Rolling Stone would side with big business, big tech and big government? Who who saw that coming? And they have they started a hit job. And then it, of uh, that hospital in Oklahoma where, where people with gunshot wounds couldn't get into the emergency room because they were people were doing horse paste. Um, well, that's that story has been debunked. They went out there and the hospital says the, the, the doctor that they use hasn't even been staffed for a while there. Uh, all the, the none of that had happened and they've issued their little quiet apologies. But the news cycle moves so fast that it, it you know, once they say the lie that goes around the world before the retraction and most people never get it. And to see the FDA, Fauci, the WHO, all these people attacking ivermectin and and the reason richie and and you probably know this the house of cards is built and predicated upon the hospitalization and death rates and emergency use of the vaccine would never have happened if there were other remedies if there were other therapies that were were successful so they needed to keep that out of the public eye and and part of its money and part of it seems to be more sinister uh, god knows but with the early treatments, when I ended up going to the hospital for a pre-existing uh, condition and the heart rate, my heart rate exploded and, and, my, and I was advised to get into the emergency room just out of precaution. And my positive test, my fever, everything in the emergency room. And they basically sent me home and told me to take Tylenol and come back when I'm in crisis, knowing I had COVID. Um, so I, I, looking at all this, I realized that the whole house of cards is held up by suppressing early treatments. And if you can do that, you keep the, the hospitalization rates and the death rates up, and there's no other hope but the vaccine. And people are, are driven by fear to make irrational choices and decisions, not only about the vaccine and therapies, but they do that about each other. And and going to Biden, you know, he's definitely dividing us and he's almost leading us. I mean, I I don't know any other way to put it, but it, I, I feel that this is Nazi Germany's uh, where they're they're already taking a class of society, a class of people, and demonizing them, dehumanizing them, making them the villains in the story, when nothing could be further from the truth. And based on all the empirical data, even out of the UK, I've heard, and you can correct me, I'm wrong. Seventy percent of the deaths recently were fully vaccinated That's for those right. over fifty. That's right. That is real reasonable numbers for anybody to think. Why do I need this vaccine, especially if I have natural immunity? Um, and for that conversation not to be had, they have to demonize everything and everyone so that they can keep people irrational and in fear and uh, coming after the targets they're pointing to rather than the real targets, which are which is their narrative. Very good point you made there about the double jabbed. The, the chairman of the British Medical Association, a doctor called Chand Nagpal, was on Sky News this afternoon and he, he conceded that increasingly when people are coming to hospital they're increasingly they're finding as you just said Nick these people are double jabbed before we we, we come back to that I want to mention again it's Nick Caterano go to goofyvaccine.com online Nick's a 
cast member, 16 years of service to the Disney Corporation. Disney agreed with the uh, unions that from October 22nd this year, staff will have to be double jabbed or else they won't have a job. This is astonishing. Nick is standing up to it, spearheading this campaign. Go to goofyvaccine.com. How does an American feel, even if you're not in New York City? How do you feel when you hear a mayor of a city as great as New York tell people that you don't get to participate in society unless you have a jab, which is, let's be honest, it's still in stage three trials. It hasn't been properly trialled. How do you feel when you hear that, Nick? Because again, you, you referenced Nazi Germany. There was a time when I would have jumped down your throat and said, come on, Nick, that's a bit much, you know, but, 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 it, but it isn't. He's telling people, do what we tell you, accept this medicine that you don't know is safe or you don't get to go to the movies, you don't get to go to the ice rink, you don't get to go to the ball game. How does an American gentleman feel when you hear that? You know, it's closer to home than, than, than you know, Richie. I'm, I'm born in uh, Brooklyn. Oh, my you're father and my born. uncle still live in New York City. My dad lives in New York City right now. Um, I used to go two, three times a year, love the city. Um, I have all my favorite places to eat and go and friends and... and um, so it, it's it's personal. It's it's personal when I'm watching it. Uh, to th- the amazing thing was, I saw, I lived in I lived in Manhattan, right off of Times Square, in a place called Restaurant Row. Uh, many would know it. Uh, prior to the Giuliani era, and I was never much in the politics, never followed it. But I used to walk home from work in the nightclubs. I worked at a nightclub called the Limelight. If anybody wants to look that up in the heyday. And I would walk home four or five in the morning and it was like a war zone coming through Times Square with prostitution, drug dealers, people, people robbing you at knife point. Um, years later, when they cleaned it up, it, w- it was such an amazing city. It was safe. We'd go to the jazz clubs. We'd be on the a subway at one, two in the morning, always feeling safe. And my wife and I noticed about four years ago, little by little, the city started to look diff- look and feel different. I started to really have to use my street smarts again as we were we were navigating around the city. Um, so it's no surprise. Uh, and, and now we realize why, you know, it's the leadership there um, and the narrative, you know, defund the police. Sure, the police, there's always room for improvement and for uh, edifying and, and different things like that. But the narrative has been a total lie. And I, and, and knowing so many police from New York City, they told me as the years were progressing that their hands were tied. It was no longer their city and leadership was destroying the city uh, right in front of them. And they're just watching. Um, so, yeah, it's really personal. It's really sad. And it's and it's a template for what's come to the rest of the world. And and I, and, and part of me standing up is I want to encourage everybody to stand up. You know, the truth is there. Wake up from all this nonsense there's more of us than people realize. And if we'll stand up and speak the truth and stand our ground and stop counting the cost, you're going to count the cost later on if you don't. And it's going to be a lot worse. Um, there's a lot of us. We need to encourage each other to, to speak up. It's a good point. No, it's a great point, Nick, because if this is allowed, if, if this is allowed and we don't stop them, well, they'll be offering us medications. You touched on this earlier on about the boosters. They'll be offering us medications for everything. I mean, we know that they're developing jabs for anything you can think of, diabetes. And, you know, I believe, and I'm not a fear monger, you certainly don't sound like one to me, 
but I can see them offering things to people in the years to come and those will be conditional offers, meaning that if you don't accept those offers, you, well, again, you don't get to do certain things. You know, we, 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 we've come to understand that as social uh, crediting. And, you know, you made another excellent point, which is worth staying with, and that is Biden, and they're doing it here in the UK, dividing people as good people against bad people. If you take the jab and if you wear the mask, which doesn't prevent the spread of anything, if you do all the things we tell you, well, then you're a good person. You're a good liberal person. But if you don't and you don't take the jab to protect other people, which is nonsense, by the way, it's medically nonsense, well, then you're a bad person. You're a conservative. You're a right-wing person. And they're doing it and it looks very simple. But I'm still really disappointed, Nick, that so many people fall for that and that they don't see through it and realise that they're being played, you know, that they're being totally and utterly manipulated. That must be so frustrating for you. It, it absolutely is. Even when I, I talk to people who have family members that are sick, and I'll, I'll share about my, my experience with ivermectin and the data, and, and I see I, I recently had a situation where the response with a group of people who I considered friends was, it's not the recommended... Uh, it's not the recommended therapy, the CDC, and they're yelling at me. And it felt, uh, you know, and I'm trying to be reasonable, like you said, but it feels religious. Why did they get so angry? You're you're answering me. You're already answering me. It's almost evangelical, right? Yeah. And it, and it, and it feels, it, it feels like people, some very crafty people have socially engineered people to lead them to this place where they don't critically think. And they've appealed to their sense of goodness and morality and, and, protecting their fellow human beings and they can't look past the, the, the personalities. Um, and, you know, as I got older and I started looking at politics a little bit close, more closely, I realized I was always fooled by personalities. They always give you, you know, Biden's up there with the, and I hate to speak about my president, but he, he comes up there with this grandfatherly thing, but he's lying out of his teeth and he's dividing people in the most terrible, evil way. There's no other way to put it. Um, and and people are eating it up, which is which is it's it's baffling, but it, it's it's predictable. And 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 even at Disney, people that are fully vaccinated, they're all getting COVID. Oh, God. and some of them yeah. are getting really sick. And and we're knowing about this, but yet people are holding the line as the vaccine is the only solution. We know now you can get you can get COVID, you can you can spread COVID. Uh, there's it doesn't make any sense. And Biden's line was. He's he's going to work to protect the vaccinated from their unvaccinated co-workers. God help him repent of, of, of this this nonsense. And and I, and I want to add one more thing. Richie, I'm, I'm a Christian and, and this has been my motivation to speak up for people. You know, I've been fascinated by prophecy in the book of Revelation and Revelation 13, where you couldn't buy or sell unless you got involved in this system. It's hard to think of it as any other thing than what we're seeing. It just seems like this is the brickwork at the bottom of, of this thing that they're 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 laying and they're and they're taking away our right to work, our right to su- support our families, our right to our, our our right and ability to speak up, to be in a free society that has has given us so many great things. It it's 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 really sad times. It's wicked, isn't it, Nick? It's a, it's a wicked thing because there's, there's, there's no way other way to put it, Richie. I mean, yeah. and, and and when you look at the early therapies that are suppressed, I it I have I, I try to look at it any other way. It's just it's it's mass murder. They're killing people by 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 withholding information and uplifting others' protocols that don't work uh, above them. 
there's no other way to see it except murdering people. I've and, got to and, ask you, Nick. And people are supporting that. I've got to ask you this. Is Nick Caterano a different man now than you were in 2019? What I mean by that is, some years ago, I was a guy who, I won't say that I ever trusted politicians, but I saw politicians as people that were in politics for themselves and you know, I knew they weren't to be trusted, but, you know, you went along. I worked, I I earned my, my living, I paid my bills, I went to the soccer, I had a few beers at the weekend, and I didn't think too much more about the authorities. But then certain things happened to change my mind. And I'm wondering, is, is, there, is, is there a pre-COVID Nick Caterano who's unrecognisable now? Have you... You know, has what's happened in the last 18 months, I, I hate to use the term awakened, I don't want to say awakened, but has it alerted you to something or were you there already pre-COVID? You know, pre-COVID, uh, I was seeing a lot of things, um, but my, like you, I just wanted to live live a quiet life, uh, content. I, I involved in in. in my wife and I are involved in helping a lot of people and, and we're committed to uh, being a good neighbor in our community and even in our neighborhood. Um, and I, I believe in live and let live. And I was alarmed by things I was seeing, but I wasn't, you know, the pressure to not to speak out, uh, the backlash, um, hoping that things would just kind of work and straighten themselves out. But as of recently, the difference has been I'm more resolved. And yes, it's, it's, it's woken me up to the reality that I, I wanted to believe people were just genuinely good people. We all wanted the same things, but we disagreed about how to go about it. And I think that's still relevant to the people at, a, at the bottom level, you know, the, the blue class, uh, the working level. Yeah. I, I hope we haven't lost Nick. Are you there, Nick? We've lost Nick momentarily. You know, I, I've cast, I've cast, Oh, you're oh, back. Really? Yeah. yeah. So Sorry. I'm, I'm just speaking up and I feel so liberated by speaking up. Brilliant, Nick. We just lost you momentarily just for a couple of seconds, but I got the point. I also know that you're due. Um, you've got a shift coming up, um, so I won't keep you much longer. I just wanted to just mention again for, for people who are coming in on this late, we've uh, been speaking with Nick Caterano, uh, top guy, Nick, goofyvaccine.com. That's the website. He's a Disney cast member. 16 years he's been with the uh, corporation. The, the corporation has agreed to deal with the unions to insist that the cast members, the unionised staff, are fully jabbed by the end of October. He's not happy and he's working hard to try and change their minds. Do check out goofyvaccine.com. Just, I'll give you the last word, of course, Nick. It's been a pleasure meeting you and I hope you do stay in touch and keep us updated as the campaign goes on. Richie, it's been a pleasure to talk to you. I think me and you could have probably talked for about three hours, hours. Uh, on all these <laughs> things. We're, we're, we're in agreement. I wanted to say one of my, when I think of all the heroes around the world uh, through history, one of my favourite was uh, William Wilberforce who helped bring an end to the slave trade, and he was he was from your part of, of the world. That's right, of uh, course. Yeah, you've got the film there, Amazing Grace. I see. Yeah, yeah I can see you. Yeah, you can't see me because I'm in a radio studio, but I can see you. Brilliant. And I, I would encourage everybody to look up his story and realize how much one person can change the world. And by the grace of God, we can do a lot. Uh, stand up, find people that are thinking like you, and, and let's fight this thing together.
Godspeed to you, Nick, and your campaign, and to your wife there, and uh, and the best to your family in New York City as well, dealing with the Blasio's madness. Lovely to meet yeah. you, and do stay in touch, Nick. Thank you. Thank you, Richie. Thank you, everybody. Lovely to meet you. That was Nick Caterano there uh, in Florida, working for Disney World there, and uh, GoofyVaccine.com, obviously all one word, GoofyVaccine.com. Check Nick out. You are listening to Monday's Richie Allen radio show, live from BBG Towers here in Salford. You can see them from the moon. I tell you, you can see them from the moon. There you go. The Richie Allen Show features doctors, scientists, academics and researchers who have been banned by the legacy media. Support Richie now by making a financial contribution at richieallen.co.uk. Yes, it's coming up for two minutes past uh, the hour, two minutes past six, but you might be catching the repeat of this. Now, I might be speaking with Matt Landman this hour, but I might not be. I think there may have been a mix-up. And, and, if there's been a mix-up, I can tell you categorically It's my fault. It generally is my fault. When you do the whole thing by yourself, occasionally you do make a mistake. To be honest, they've become less frequent, my mistakes. I do have a diary, but I am prone to messing up. So I get distracted. You see, I speak to somebody, right? Yeah, I'll see you. Yeah, Tuesday. Yeah, lovely. Thursday. Right, yeah. Yeah, the 15th. Yeah, lovely. Job done. Great. And rather than put it in the diary... Something will happen, I will get a phone call or I will be distracted and then I'll come back and I will remember it but I'll put it in the wrong day. Yeah, I know. I'm in Egypt. Now, Sunday Morning Melodies, I really enjoyed yesterday's programme. I played a song from Todd Rundgren which featured in the film Kingpin and I swear to God and his son Jesus. I do not blaspheme. I swear to God and Sonny Jesus. I had quite a few emails today from people who said, Richie, you don't archive Sunday morning melodies for obvious reasons. You can't do that. And I missed the repeats. I heard the live show, but then I missed the repeats. What's that brilliant song you played from Kingpin? Uh, Play it again or at least tell me what it is so that I can download it. Well, here it is. Why not? It's Todd Rundgren and I saw the light on the Richie Allen Show. Todd Rundgren and I saw the light. This is the Richie Allen radio show. There's none like it. Anywhere on planet Earth, there, there's none like it. Let me do this because I haven't done it since I launched the Patreon thing. I'm still getting emails from people who said, Richie, PayPal wouldn't allow my support for your programme go through. Right. Two and a half weeks ago or three weeks ago, PayPal told me to get to feck. Told me to feck off. Don't want to have anything to do with you. Wouldn't tell me why. I have reported PayPal to the financial ombudsman. I have engaged a solicitor. I'm not taking it lying down. I'll do as much as I can without spending any money. Anyway, 97 or 98% of the support to the programme came through PayPal. So that was a problem. So I launched a Patreon thing. It isn't very stable, I don't believe. I, I, I don't want to tempt fate, but it's there. And I've been encouraging people to set up in the absence of PayPal. If you have been supporting the programme through PayPal, you can't anymore. So please go to my website where it says support your show at the top, because it is your show, at the top of the page. If you click on that, you will be given a couple of options. You will be given the option to set up a standing order at a bank account in Manchester and a Patreon account. Please use one or the other if you can. Please do, folks. 
This is your show and it doesn't have any advertising. Without you, it doesn't exist. It doesn't stay on the air. So if you're a PayPal user and you haven't yet heard the bad news, they will not be taking any money from your PayPal account anymore and sending it to the Richie Allen Show. So go on the website where it says support the show, support your show, and set up a standing order through the bank account or use the Patreon. Please do it. Thank you. And as usual, and of course I mean it, if you can't afford it, pay no attention to me. Carry on listening. You can support it in, in other ways. If you're just joining the programme, the big news, although it isn't news, is that England's chief medical officer, who was surrounded by the chief medical officers of Scotland, Wales and Northern Ireland, they announced this afternoon that which we knew would happen. They said that they will be recommending that healthy 12 to 15-year-olds are jabbed against COVID-19. This despite the Joint Committee on Vaccination and Immunisation refusing to support jabbing 12 to 15-year-old healthy children. It's all very sinister, of course, you and I both know that. What is the reason given? Well, they have said, we don't want the kiddies' schooling to be disrupted anymore. What a shower of lying bastards they are. The only disruption to the kiddie schooling came from Chris Whitty, Patrick Valance, Van Tam and that barrel of monkey spunk, Boris Johnson. They knew in 2020 that kids had more chance of being killed by a piano dropping out of the sky that is being played by a hippopotamus. More chance of dying like that than dying or even getting seriously ill from COVID. They also knew that COVID wasn't being passed on to granny and granddad by the kiddies because asymptomatic transmission as a concept is monumental bollocks. It is a lie. They knew this last year, but they fear-porned and they fear-mongered. Now they're saying, let's give the kiddies the jab so that we don't have to take them out of school again. There isn't any need to take them out of school anyway. This is unimaginably evil. I won't subject you to the soundbite of Chris Whitty again. I won't do it to you. What we will do is move on. I'm just updating you, just in case you didn't know. It's ten minutes past six. Yes, I've screwed up royally. That's what I do. I screw up. And I think it'll be later in the week or early next week when Matt comes on. In the meantime, it's just me and you. I could, of course, right now open the phone into Skype, but... I won't because I've got plenty to share with you. Other things that are going on, you know. Did you see this this morning, did you? I wrote a, an article, tongue kind of in cheek, kind of, kind of in cheek, about these scruffy, dirty, sweaty, smelly, unwashed bastards who thought that they'd be clever and block the slip roads, two slip roads on the M25 this morning. This is a bunch of dipsticks now calling themselves Insulate Britain. What is their cause, Celebra? What is their cause? Well, they want the government to spend more money on insulating our houses against the cold so that we don't have to use the radiator so much. And if we don't use the radiator so much, we won't kill the earth by overheating it. Yes. It's bullshit, but anyway. So these are nutters. I know I shouldn't use terminology like that. But the um, I wrote a piece on the, the, the website today. I mean it. They should be arrested on the spot. 
on the spot. Persistent offenders should be jailed after, of course, having their day in a court of law. Enough of these dipsticks now. Uh, A group of them calling themselves, as I said, this insulate Britain, blocked up these roads today. And you could choke on the irony, you know. You could choke on the irony. We're doing it to save the planet for the children of the future. But of course, to accomplish the saving of the planet for the kiddies' future, they want to turn the planet into a prison. Where all you eat, all you drink, where you go, what you say, what you think, what you do is monitored and ultimately controlled by the state. These goons want biennial COVID-style lockdowns. Don't believe me? Look it up. Biennial COVID-style lockdowns. Yes, every two years, every two years, we impose a draconian lockdown on ourselves so that we don't put so much of the carbon into the atmosphere. Nut cases, end the consumption of red meat, limiting private vehicle use. These are nut cases. But I, 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 I sympathise with them because for many of them, they're genuine, you know. They believe it. They've been suckered into believing this garbage. I'm all for the preservation of the right to assemble and protest. Of course I am. And I'm not going to be a hypocrite. But these nut jobs are not protesting anything. They're building the walls of their own prison. And yours. And mine. It's religious mania. I met a gentleman years ago in Spain. His wife, God love her. And I mean God love her. His wife had committed suicide years and years ago. She was in the grip of religious mania. These are religious maniacs. Blocking up the M25. There were some scuffles. Eventually some of them were arrested by the police. Anywho, why am I telling you all of this? Well, it's interesting because it's going to be the next big thing. It's going to be the next big thing. James O'Brien, LBC. (laughs) James O'Brien, LBC Radio. He's all for it. Extinction Rebellion. And these screaming loopers who scream about Armageddon and the end of times and billions of people will die and all of that Greta bollocks. He's all forward as James O'Brien. And he wanted to share with his listeners today an analogy to explain to his listeners how he sees it, what's really going on. This is James O'Brien. All right. Because I, I'm keen to understand almost all points of view, uh, points of view that are, you know, at least tangentially related to reason and, and rational analysis and, of course, evidence. So I, I want you to imagine a coach... And there are a hundred people sitting on the coach. And we are all heading in the same direction. And we are heading towards a cliff. A cliff edge. This is nothing to do with the B word. All right. We're on a big bus and we're heading towards a cliff edge. Now, almost everybody on the, on the bus acknowledges the existence of the cliff now. I think when we first started having these conversations, there were still a significant number of fellow passengers who didn't think there was a cliff at all. And you, Jesus Christ. So the cliff is climate change. All, and you, you could point at the cliff, you could show them photographs of the cliff, and they would insist that, well, it's got nothing to do with, with the driver of, of the coach. The direction we're going in has got nothing to do, the cliff has got nothing to do with us. We're nowhere near the cliff. And anyway, even if we were driving up a road with no cliffs on it, we could accidentally fall off a cliff. Anyway, that would be your climate change denier. Still quite well represented in... Some corners of the media and the sort of dodgy world of, of think tanks. Where? Where is 
so-called climate change denial represented in the UK media. It isn't. The media, well, the Telegraph, you might say, but very rarely these days. Dellingpole doesn't write for the broadsheets anymore. They won't have him. Christopher Booker is dead. Rest in peace. There isn't any pushback against this junk science in the British press. And the BBC, as we well know, because I reported it first on the Richie Allen show before anybody else had it, even the mainstream media, the BBC circulated an email to its staff a couple of years ago saying the climate change science is settled, climate change is real, we're all going to die unless we do something about it. You don't need to provide a balance anymore. Well, Brian is a liar. There are no think tanks. Well, there might be one. There are certainly no media organisations trying to feature the many academics and scientists who know that climate change is junk science. I don't know where he's going with this. But they are now, thankfully, in a minority. I think the majority of people sitting on the coach know that there's a cliff and don't know what to do about it. And looking at the... It's a bit like Speed, the Keanu Reeves film. They can't do anything about... The, the, the bus. How many people on the bus turned out to be Keanu Reeves? Ah, they can't do anything about the bus because they're not Keanu Reeves. So they're, they're open-minded to the idea that climate change is catastrophic, but they're helpless to do anything about it, says O'Brien. They're just not Keanu Reeves, you see. This gets, uh, it, it actually does get interesting, this. He goes on. Everybody else just sits there panicking or making peace with their maker or saying a prayer or trying to get hold of the family to say goodbye. I, I, I mean, I exaggerate slightly, ambivalence normally, because you're, you, you, you're just not feeling it. You know the cliff is there, but there's nothing you can do about it. And besides, I've got bills to pay. I've got, you know, I've got, I've got stuff to do. I've got, I've got plans to make. I've got people to see. So that would be still most of us. And then, I don't know what percentage it is, in the context of the protesters, it's, it's two or three passengers out of 100 on the bus, would you say? Maximum. I mean, we're not talking about 10% of the population taking action like this. Although... So the climate change preachers are likely to be about three people on the bus that's hurtling to the edge of the cliff. A, a significant number of passengers may support them and possibly join in a bit, but two or three are trying to grab the steering wheel. At least you don't have to pay for LBC. They're not just trying to grab the steering wheel, they are screaming the bloody house down. About the, the nutters, there are three nutters on the bus trying to grab the steering wheel and screaming the house down. About the danger of continuing to travel at full speed towards this cliff edge. We're all going to die if you don't stop. And they're right. No, they're not right, you bearded dipstick. They're not right. We'll, we'll, we'll demonstrate how wrong they are in a moment. This is going somewhere. But I am an, a middle-class Englishman. A twat. And I still feel a sense of discomfort and and oh dear i say pipe down a bit will you chaps this isn't you know this and, and yet i know they're right he's conflicted you see he doesn't like their tactics he's a bit uncomfortable with them but he knows they're right but they're not right and i'm not being characteristically self-obsessed on this one i'm just using myself as a lens i'm capable of change i am capable thank god he he replays his own radio programs back late at night while he masturbates. That's what James O'Brien does. I have this on good authority. At this stage in my life of, of changing my mind about things. I'm not sure I always was, but goodness knows I am now. Get on with it. 
and I know that the people screaming are right. And yet, They're not right. I understand the person sitting over there who's really irritated by them. And, of course, Nick took a very powerful call from the mother of a, of a young girl on her way to her school who's in pieces, according to the mother, in the back of the car. She's on the coach as well. She is indeed. His, um, his colleague, Nick Ferrari, heard from people who are inconvenienced by these ne'er-do-wells who blocked up the M25. Apparently a young girl was very upset by it. Oh, and the people screaming and shouting and trying to grab the steering wheel are frightening the l- life out of that little girl. Out they of- are indeed. Like Greta. They're scaring the piss out of the youngsters by screaming. Apocalyptic visions of what's going to happen to us all if we don't prevent the planet from warming by 1.5 degrees. That 11-year-old girl. But they're still right. No, they're not right. Let's finish with O'Brien before we demonstrate exactly who the three nutters on the bus really are that are screaming at the other passengers and trying to wrestle control of the bus away from the bemused, bewildered, scared, out of his wits driver, O'Brien. And what else can they do if the bus continues to career towards the cliff edge at breakneck speed but scream, scream and scream again and start grabbing us and shaking us? And that's, that's totally legitimate. When you are talking through your arse and telling monstrous lies, what do you do if people refuse to listen to you because you're just a madman? Well, you do more of it. You scream at people and grab them by the shoulders and roar at them. That's what you do. And trying to communicate to us the sense of urgency that they feel. But they're mad, though. If you walk through an insane asylum, You don't go and sit down with the guy who's running around his padded cell screaming, Get them off me! Get them off me! You don't entertain him. You feel sorry for him and you think there but for the grace of God go I. But you don't go and have a cup of tea with the mad fucker. You know, you do have empathy now, mind. You don't call him a mad fucker. You have empathy, ultimately, but you don't sit down with him and say, Do you want a game of drafts? He's mad, he's running around his cell screaming. But we do not. And I... Of course we don't entertain these evangelical nutjobs. I think that's close to perfect as an analogy. I may as well start the week as I intend to go on. I can't... Close to perfect. Like I said, he gets drunk on the smell of his own farts, James O'Brien. Not sour grapes at all. I've told the LBC story too many times, I'm not going to tell it again. Headhunted by LBC Radio, I was many years ago. Until they did a very nasty thing to me. Um, Not remotely bitter about that. God, no. Christ, I've had a fantastic time in the last 10, 11, 12 years. Worst radio presenter in the world. The analogy is crap. These are nut jobs, these people. And let's hear from one of them. Let's hear from somebody that James O'Brien would have you listen to. Here's a bit of audio from the Andrew Neil show on GB News, taken around June the 19th or thereabouts. So you're only talking a couple of months ago, right? three months ago or thereabouts. And Andrew Neil stitches this guy called Roger Hallam, stitches him up, does him up like a kipper, and calls out, not only does he call it, but, but demonstrates, this guy's the co-founder of Extinction Rebellion. One of these canvas cloth-wearing Muppets walks around with a duffel coat and morons, right? Listen to this guy get stitched up by Andrew Neil, stitched up on the massive lies and exaggerations 
by groups like his. You will hear this guy before you hear Andrew Neil. This is very good. I, I just want you to respond to I that because that. I don't think you want the end of uh, civilization. Of no, no, nobody does. But no. one of the ways that we he said to Andrew Neil, "You don't want the end of civilization, do you?" And Andrew Neil said, "Of course not." Ways that we judge what people tell us to determine how much weight we give it, and in your case, how much weight do we give you, is to look at many of the things that you say. Now, you have said that six billion people will die of climate change in this century. It's no wonder the children are scared shitless, right? Six billion. And you then said, that's what the science predicts. What science? Okay, so this is, this is, um, I'm, you know, He's as bad as Jeremy Corbyn now. Remember when Jeremy Corbyn was on BBC Radio and he was asked for a figure and he started fumbling around with the papers in his lap and he hadn't a Scooby-Doo, Cat Weasel, do you remember? Oh, Jesus, give me, uh, give me a minute there now, uh, I'll tell you. But it's in your manifesto, you dipstick. I don't know. Uh, this is the way this guy is, this guy Hallam here. Neil has said, where's the science to show that six billion people are going to die? To give me ten minutes to respond properly. but Ten minutes. I'll just go back to um, to that quote, right? This is Jonathan Rotstrom. He's the director of the Potsdam Institute, which is arguably the most respectable climate change institute in, in Europe. So, Where is the Potsdam Institute? I'll be Potsdam if I know. So, we know it's only one guy. I'm not trying to make out that it's the done deal, but he's saying at four degrees warmer world, there's half a billion people alive. Well, we can do the maths. There's going to be, what, eight, nine million, billion people. So what he's saying is, is six, seven, eight billion people are going to starve to death or but, die in war. Well, actually, he doesn't quite say that. Well, he's and, saying uh, that half a billion people are going to be left. This is just basic maths, isn't it? But that's it? one, scientists, I've done a survey of well, let, all the research just, into this. There is no peer-reviewed, public, published research that backs up your six billion people to die. None. It's just bollocks, Mr Hallam, isn't it? None. That's none. right. So that that's right, he says. There is none. We just come out and say that six billion people are going to die. Got any uh, proof of that? No. Published research that backs up your six billion people to die. None. That's right. That's right. So that's one form of evidence, as you know. Peer-reviewed <laughs> papers is one form of evidence. It's a very important form of evidence. Another form of evidence is to listen to scientists that have spent decades... Another form of evidence is to listen to scientists... ...and got to the top of their profession and are saying to us that we're looking at billions of deaths this century, down to but potentially half a billion. nearly all scientists are not saying that. And my point... I know, I know. It so is, we, we're not disagreeing, right? What, what I'm, I know, I know, we're not disagreeing, right? You're right, Andrew, you're right. Most scientists are not saying that six billion people are going to die. Well, why are you saying it then? Why are you telling children? that if the planet warms by a few degrees, which it will because the planet is still emerging from the last ice age, and the vast majority of scientists are not saying that this rise in temperature will lead to, to a death rate in, in the hundreds of millions, let alone the billions. He's just making it up. Remember, this is a guy who James O'Brien would have you believe. This guy here exposed, caught with his trousers down by Andrew Neil. What I'm but you claim it. But no, excuse me. You've said that's what the science predicts. It is. It doesn't. It is. That's what the science <laughs> predicts according to these people. You, you, you see, you see the, your language at some stage seems not just extreme but quite bizarre. You, you talk about millions of rapes, of mass rape slaughter, mass rape. I mean, I mean this is fantastic. 
this guy was on Sky News several weeks before and he was warning that climate change will lead to mass rape around the world. But sure, if the world is as warm as he's saying it's going to get you, nobody will have any energy to be raping anybody. It is, it doesn't. It is. That's what the science predicts according to these people. You, you, you see, you seem, your language at some stage seems not just extreme but quite bizarre. You, you talk about millions of rapes, of mass rape slaughter, mass rape, 50 million Africans, this is what, they'll die just for starters, this is what it looks like. You downplay the Holocaust compared to climate change. All of that discredits you, even Extinction Rebellion in Germany disassociated itself from you. Yeah, but but James O'Brien at LBC Radio will tell you that this guy Hallam is the, the metaphor. He's at the front of the bus trying to grab the steering wheel and he's screaming at people. And he's right, says James O'Brien. Here's another absolute fruitcake called Zion Lights. That's her name. She calls herself Zion Lights. Again, exposed by Andrew Neil as not having a Scooby-Doo as to what it is she's talking about. Weather-related disasters, there seem to be a lot of them around at the moment, and people die from them. But on the latest figures I've seen, a hundred years ago, weather-related disasters killed half a million people a year. Today, it's 20,000 a year. Still 20,000 too many, but it's a reduction of 95,000. Yeah. It doesn't lead to the uh, 95%. A reduction of 95%, it does not lead to a death of billions. I mean, aren't you scaring people with this rhetoric? Aren't Rubbish it is, not rhetoric. I think, that, I think there's a danger of scaring people simply because we're not taking it seriously enough and people are feeling really, you know, desperate that we're heard on this. And, and unfortunately, you know, alarmist language works, which is why... Unfortunately, alarmist language works. So we just tell lies. We believe... We believe so fervently in our own bullshit that the planet is going to explode if we don't reduce warming and billions will die. We believe in this fairy tale to such a degree that, well, it's, it's, it's completely legitimate to make things up as we go along. Alarmist language, why not? And people are feeling really, you know, desperate that we're heard on this. And, and unfortunately, you know, alarmist language works, which is why <laughs> we're discussing it right now. But, but does it work? It could... Nutters! I mean, I've seen... Uh, Fucking nutters! Young girls on television, part of your demonstration, particularly the school ones when they, they take the day off to demonstrate, crying because they think they're going to die in five or six years' time. Well, no, it's not necessarily... Crying because they don't think they'll ever see adulthood. And yet there is no scientific basis for the claims that your organisation is making. The young people that I've spoken to aren't crying because they think they're going to die in a few years. It's because they don't see their children as having a future. They don't want to have children. And they're worrying about, you know, coastal regions going underwater, other countries, <laughs> island nations going underwater. You know, but it's not going to happen. Uh, you know, the Maldives going underwater. The, the Maldives. Uh, the mass displacement that's happening, the weather extremes, which may, may be on a downward trajectory, but climate scientists are telling us that they will be on the increase. Well, no, they're on a downward trajectory. Hundred years ago, weather events caused more fatalities than now. You can hear the panic in the young woman's voice. She believes it. That's the thing you see with these people. Again, I, I, I made the point this morning. If you come across these people, please do not ever become violent. Ever. 
however frustrating it might be. You might come across them in your car. You might need to be at an appointment. I understand it. Don't become violent. Don't reduce yourself to that. These are genuinely... And, and there was a time when I would have measured my language and not used terminology like nuts. And I shouldn't. And I suppose when this gets out there tomorrow on podcast, I'll be hammered for, you know, being insensitive to people's, to people's mental well-being, which of course I'm not. But they've been whipped into this by the think tanks that James O'Brien was talking about earlier on, by the media, by complete and utter fantasists like this loony. Any excuse. They sweep their mess under the carpet for our generation to clean up and solve. How dare you? You have stolen my dreams and my childhood with your empty words. People are suffering. People are dying. Entire ecosystems are collapsing. We are in the beginning of a mass extinction. How dare you? But, but we're not. We're not in the beginning of a mass extinction. We're not. There's no evidence of it. There's a fantastic article which was published in Forbes magazine only two years ago. I, I wish I could share it now. I can't share it now, to be honest, because I can't get into the website. But it's a wonderful piece written by a guy called Michael Schellenberger. Now, Schellenberger is a climate change believer or at least it seems up to a point. He's written about energy and the environment. He's written about those issues for, for some years. But he writes a very interesting article, even though I don't believe that he's right, you know, that that um, man-made CO2 and greenhouse gases are trapping heat on the earth. I don't believe that because there isn't any evidence of it. There isn't any evidence of it at all, right? None. And I'm not just saying that to suit my own end. There is no evidence of it. And this guy wrote back in 2019 a brilliant article where he basically takes apart Greta Thunberg and the Democratic Senator Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. And he says in the article that there is no evidence whatsoever that the warming of the planet... This guy does believe that man-made CO2 is making a contribution to the warming of the planet. But he admits in the article in the Forbes magazine, in Forbes magazine, that there's no evidence to suggest that this is going to kill people or kill anybody. He says it just isn't. And he says Extinction Rebellion and others talking about, you know, how climate change poses a threat to human existence. It's just nonsense. Nonsense. And James O'Brien, I'll leave this segment where I came in. James O'Brien of LBC Radio, he knows this. That's what makes him truly dreadful as a human being first and foremost and as a broadcaster, from a secondary point of view, as a broadcaster, he knows this. And yet he will allow these people go unchallenged, saying like, you know, we're blocking up the M25 and causing anxiety and causing discomfort and and a nuisance to tens of thousands of people. We're doing it because if we don't, billions of people are going to die. It's bullshit. And he knows it. The media knows it. But the media has decided that the science on climate change is settled and that nobody who says that, well, it isn't true, actually, 
Nobody with that opinion should ever see the inside of a TV or a radio studio ever again. And that's the way it is. The only dissent is on programmes like this, your Richie Allen radio show. This is Edison Lighthouse, 25 to 7. Are you a company based in the northwest of England who want to improve their profile via social media? Yes! Well, you could go out in the car park and film something on your phone, but it's not very good, is it? No! It sounds terrible, yes! the picture's not that great. Yes! Try Ensign Films. We're a new video production company based in the heart of Manchester. We're really old, we've had loads of experience, and we can work within your budget. Don't go out in the car park with Debbie from Accounts. Seriously, ensignfilms.co.uk. The Richie Allen Show is the world's most listened to independent news radio show. All episodes are archived at richieallen.podomatic.com. And uh, let me uh, tell you, I've got some very interesting guests lined up for you this coming week. There will be a phone-in next week. I'm going to do a phone-in every fortnight, okay? If that if that suits you, that's a promise. Every two weeks. By the way, my website, richieallen.co.uk, is down. I don't know why it's down. I can't tell you. Thanks to my great pal, Mark Boyerski, for alerting me to that fact. I was just about to go on there and read your comments because there were dozens and dozens of comments on the James O'Brien LBC thing. I can't read them now, which means I'm going to have to fill just a little bit longer. I'm going to have to fill just a little bit longer. Yeah, that's taking the air out of my balloon. I don't know why that is. It could be a DOS attack. It could be something innocuous, I don't know. I'm streaming though, so you're still listening to me, which is no uh, which is no bad thing. You're still getting me loud and clear. A number of you were in touch with me to say you'd been to the so-called Ground Zero site in New York for the memorial over the weekend on Saturday. And I, I did see an exchange on the website between a couple of people. There was a young lady, she might not be a young lady, but there was a lady talking about why she went down. She knew people who had died on the day there and she goes every year to pay her respects to uh, to her um, loved ones, I suppose, who passed away on September the 11th. I also had some emails from people who said, you didn't do very much, Richie. I talked about it on Thursday with Ryan Christian. You know, you know I said it briefly on Sunday morning melodies yesterday. There isn't anything I can add to the things that have been said on this programme about September the 11th. Nothing. You know, I, some, not so soon, but a couple of years after, after it happened and during, I suppose, the invasion of Iraq, I began to see things a bit differently. I read a book, I told told you about that, and spent many years then thereafter talking about it and discussing it with various people, you know, pilots for 9-11 Truth, architects and engineers for 9-11 Truth, and so many different people. And um, I didn't watch the events on Saturday. I was at home. I was chilling. I was watching some sport. I watched the United game. And then I watched the Tyrone-Mayo All-Ireland Gaelic football final. But I resisted the temptation to switch over to the BBC or to Sky because it was a festival of lies. You know, a lot of people, as we discussed on Thursday, they get bogged down in the how did they pull it off argument. And that's fair enough. I wouldn't tell anybody what they should argue about or not argue about. I've just not gotten involved in that over the years because it's almost like a secondary argument. You know, is there 
circumstantial evidence? Is there beyond circumstantial evidence that it was a what we call a false flag operation? The answer is yes. Absolutely. How did it happen? I have no idea. Like I said, if I was to put my last fiver on on the method, the methodology, I would go with Richard Gage, controlled demolition. I would go with that. But but I don't know that to be an absolute fact. I've interviewed people over the years, many years ago, many, many, many years ago, I interviewed a woman called Judy Wood. And after the programme, she said she'd never come on with me ever again because I asked her a few questions. I poked a few holes in her theory. Not that I didn't believe her or that she wasn't qualified to have an opinion. She certainly was more qualified than me, but it was my job to point out, well, well, somebody else thinks this and this person thinks that. And a bit of a diva. Uh, not a very nice person, I didn't think. And that was years ago now. And I've had nothing to do with the woman ever since. But she might be right. How do I know? But I wouldn't bet on her being right. So does it matter? Does it matter anymore, really? The fact is they did it. They carried it off. They murdered thousands of people. I'll tell you what's been on my mind for years. I said I wouldn't get into this. I'll tell you what's been on my mind for years and years and years and years. What happened to the people who boarded Flight 77 that morning, that Tuesday morning? These were people. We are told that Flight 77 was flown into the Pentagon. Those people were killed on the plane. But I don't believe that any plane hit the Pentagon. There's no evidence to support it. I mentioned on Thursday when speaking with uh, Ryan Christian, I interviewed on a Spanish radio station many years ago a guy called Alan Kilshamer or Kilshimer. Nice fella. Genuine. Genuine guy. Alan spoke to me and he believed that a plane had hit the building. And he probably believes it to this day. And I interviewed him and he was nice. And I said to him, how, how soon were you on site after the alleged plane strike? He had an office just around the corner. He was there within 20, 25 minutes. He was phoned to come and to give an evaluation as to the structural damage to the building so that they could make a decision on evacuation and all sorts of other decisions they needed to make. Basically, how badly has the building been damaged, Mr Kilsheimer? Lovely. So he came along. I spoke to him years ago. I said, Alan, what did you see? He said, well, what was interesting, Richie, was what I didn't see. What didn't you see, Alan? Didn't see a plane. Did you see anything? No. The wings? No. The engines? No. Anything. Bits of blue steel. Bits of blue aluminium. The, what did they call it? The fuselage. The fuselage. Did you see any of that? No. What happened, Alan? Richie had disintegrated when it hit the building. Did it? He was a nice guy. So I didn't rinse him out. What? There was no point in rinsing him out because he believed it. I did say to him, Alan, that makes it the first plane in history that disintegrated when it hit a building. Not a trace of it. Of course, in the days preceding the alleged plane strike, they posted some photographs online of what looked to be a little bit of um, 
a round metal thing with teeth, some sort of a blade. And he said, oh, that came from the engine. Then they showed a little bit of blue metal, didn't they, on the lawn. And he said, oh, look, there's a plain piece. But the late great Jim Mars, a brilliant journalist who never said anything unless he believed it to be true. Jim said it, 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 it was obvious to him that the little bit of metal was carefully placed there afterwards. So anyway, I've always wondered, if Flight 77 took off, we've no reason to believe it didn't, what did they do to those people? And that used to keep me up nights. You might think that's very strange, you know. Richie, if they did use control, if they did put explosives in the lifts, if they loaded the columns of the buildings with explosives, if Judy Wood is right and they used a directed energy weapon, that's evil enough, Richie. It's evil enough to be keeping you up nights and, yeah... But you kind of get over that. But I've ne- what I mean by get over it is the horror fades. But imagining that they flew Flight 77 to another location and then murdered the passengers. I've never been able to shake that. The horror of that. If indeed they did that. You know? The other two planes. I've heard people on this programme over the years. I've never bought into it. Well, there was no planes, it was holograms. Bollocks. Listen, believe what you want. I believe something. Planes hit those buildings. Boeing, uninterruptible autopilot, maybe. Maybe they were flown by wire. Maybe there were no hijackers. In fact, I don't believe there were any hijackers at all. Maybe somebody took control of the planes and flew them into the buildings. While the hapless pilots, God love them, had to sit there. Maybe. I don't know. But um yeah, I've 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 stayed up nights. Even recently, as we were approaching this twenty year thing, thinking, what did they do to the passengers of Flight seventy seven? What happened to the passengers of Flight ninety three? Which they they told us the passengers overtook, overcame the hijackers and forced the plane into the ground. But again, they showed us a hole in the ground, didn't they? In Shanksville. Look at that. No evidence of any wreckage. They told us again to, to dispense with logic and reason and to believe that a plane hit the ground and disintegrated. Not even into dust, just disintegrated. Poof, bang, gone. Like the Pentagon. So, um, yeah. Yeah. Might get into that sometime on the programme. You know, I know that Dylan Avery, who, who who I've spoken to over the years, and Corey Rowe and others who I've spoken to over the years, where um, when they made the very first Loose Change film, they speculated that the Flight 77 passengers were taken to an undisclosed, obviously undisclosed location, maybe a military base somewhere, and they were murdered. Maybe that's what happened. Um, we're working on the Richie Allen uh, website richieallen.co.uk that's all I can say to you now so you can't speak to me through that website Peter has been on to me Richie that's a subject that's haunted me as well there was an American lady who published a book some years ago her name evades me but I remember she mentioned the passengers were flown to a hangar and gassed to death 
then disposed of. Difficult to accept, Richie, but anything is possible in this mad world. Thanks, Peter. A theory, I doubt very much the lady in question had any evidence to support that. And I don't mean to be coming down hard now on people. These are theories. They might very well be right, but you need to have absolute evidence, you know. Jean-Anne has been on to tell me, no mention of Building 7 in the official report. 100% right. I read the 9-11 Commission report. Read it. Honest, honest engine. That's, that's racism now. I've, I've read it. Honest to God, it's massive. Thousands of pages. I poured over it. Online. Took me weeks. And uh, the guy who led that process, the guy called um, Thomas Keane, a lawyer, when it was published, the 9-11 Commission report, he came out and basically disowned it and said it was set up to fail. We were hamstrung at every juncture. At every step of the way, we were hamstrung. People wouldn't speak to us. People refused to go on the record. If I remember rightly, George W. Bush and his vice president, Dick Cheney, refused to give evidence unless they were giving it together in the same room. Tweedledum and Tweedledee. Dipsticks. That says to any prosecutor, that says to any lawman or lawwoman or woman of the law, that says, uh, well, Christ, lads, it sounds very much like you want to get your, <laughs> your, your, your ducks in a row there. Off the record too, says Jean-Anne. That's right. Yeah, Thomas Keane and Lee Hamilton, if I remember, wrote the report and they basically said it was set up to fail. Three million US dollars was allocated to investigate the so-called worst terrorist atrocity on American soil. They spent 50 million dollars trying to determine whether Bill Clinton had a blowjob from an intern. What kind of fuckery is this indeed? Here's your priorities right there. If, if things were as we are led to believe, if politicians are flawed people doing the best they can and that they are genuinely in control. If that was real, I couldn't care less if a president gets a blowjob off an intern. I couldn't care less. Now, we know things are not as we are told. We know that presidents don't control anything. Presidents don't control the remote control for the television in the Oval Office. They have no control over anything. But if they did, couldn't care less really what he does in his spare time. That's up. That's for his wife to deal with. 50 million bucks spent. And of course the American people were raptured. Raptured? They weren't raptured. They were, um, wrapped. They couldn't get enough of it. I remember it. Remember it, just as I was coming into uh, the media when that was going on. Monica Lewinsky, I did not have sex with that woman. You did, you did, you lying bastard. But it shouldn't matter, really. 50 million bucks, 3 million to investigate what happened on September the 11th. We know that Osama bin Laden had nothing to do with it. Why do we know that? Because his family were, were basically airlifted out of the United States in the day after the attack. When nobody else was flying. Let's get the Bin Ladens out. I remember a, an FBI guy said to Michael Moore, the filmmaker, don't groan. I know Michael Moore's an arsehole. You don't have to groan. But some elements of 
Fahrenheit 9-11 were good. Some elements of the film were good. Obviously Michael Moore hasn't a Scooby-Doo and he's not going to go down the rabbit hole. Not not in a million years. Michael Moore wouldn't entertain the idea that it was a false flag. Of course not. He's a establishment to the bone, Michael Moore. Of course he is. But some parts of that film were good. I didn't realise until I saw Fahrenheit 9-11 that the Bin Ladens were allowed to skedaddle out of the country. I remember Moore interviewed an FBI guy. The FBI guy said, Jesus, we'd have liked to have interviewed his family. (laughs) You know? You know? We'd have liked to have interviewed these people. Not to put the, you know, not to, to blame these people for anything, but to interview them. Because they're his family. There are things they might know that might be useful to us in our investigation. No, they got him out of town at the speed of light. There's so many things, you know, when you look back at it. Mohammed Atta's passport being found in the rubble. I can honestly say that I didn't broadcast that. I didn't. I never said those words. I don't think my presenter did either. But our news team did. Our newsroom were, were actually reporting that. To their eternal shame. In fact, I didn't find out about a passport for about a year. I don't know why I missed that. I really don't know why I missed it. I can't think why I missed it. But it was quite a while after they reported that that I learned about it. You might say, you weren't much of a journalist, Richie. But Jesus, you know, when you're in a newsroom and you have hundreds of 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 wires coming in, you have hundreds of you have independent radio news, you have the Associated Press, you have all this going on. I didn't realise at the time that they were claiming to have found the passport. But yeah, our, our, our news team would have went to air. I don't think I could have done that. I think, I'd like to think I would have said, pull the other one, you know. They found his passport, did they? Pristine, is it? It survived the jet fuel fires, did it? And the melting of the steel, did it? Yes. And the disintegration of the concrete in the buildings. But you found the passport, right? Muhammad Adda, yeah, that, that's not suspicious at all, no. No. Yeah crazy. Jean Anna's telling me they stopped reporting that when they realised they'd gone too far, that they jumped the shark, which might explain why I didn't learn about it for some time after. Yeah. But I know our news team was reporting on it because I listened back to all of that stuff years later because it was all preserved. I listened back to it and they did report on it. They said, oh, we know it's Bin Laden now. Or sorry, we know that Mohammed Adda was on board. Why? We found his passport in the rubble. Pull the other one, you know. They got away with it. They got away with it. And on, on, on Saturday, I thought it was prudent not to watch what was inevitably a festival of lies. I'm nearly done now. I'm going to love you and leave you. Thanks so much to my guest in the first hour. I really enjoyed speaking with Nick Cateranu. Caterano, Nick Caterano. It's Nick Caterano. Go to goofyvaccine.com. He's the Disney employee whose uh, campaign to 
to to persuade them to change their minds and not to insist that the unionised employees are doubly jabbed by October 22nd. That campaign continues. Lovely bloke enjoyed speaking with him. You and I will speak tomorrow, Tuesday, at the usual time of 5 o'clock UK time. Until then, thanks for spending some of your Monday with me. This programme will be on richieallen.co.uk when the website is back up and running. It's on richieallen.podomatic.com. It'll be on iTunes, Spotify and where you usually get your podcasts from. Closing out with the great Charles Aznavour. And yesterday when I was young. Thanks for being there for me today. Speak tomorrow. Bye.